If you've brought your Bibles with you, it would be amazing if you could open up uh, to John chapter 19, picking up where Tim left off at verse 23. The words will also be on the screen for those of you who haven't brought your Bibles. So John 19, starting at verse 23. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled that said, they divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. So this is what the soldiers did. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Well, thank you, Amanda. Brothers and sisters, friends and guests, those online as well, a welcome to you, a welcome to all of you. Thank you for choosing to celebrate Good Friday this year with us here at Norwest Anglican. My name is Pete Stedman, a member of the team here. When my kids were young, they used to love me reading books to them. And one in particular was called My Dad. I read it so much to them, I ended up knowing it off by heart. He's all right, my dad. My dad isn't afraid of anything. Not even the big bad wolf. He can jump right over the moon or walk on a tightrope without falling off, and on it goes. Now, I haven't read that book in a decade, but I know how it goes line by line by line, and so do my kids, because there's something about stories, isn't there? They can get into us, they can captivate us, and the best stories can make us see the world, make us consider our lives in a different way. I think this is the reason behind the success of the ABC TV show, Australian Story. It can get into you, it can transport you into the life and shoes of another person. And sometimes the story can leave a mark on you. There is something about the Good Friday story. The story of the death of the man, Jesus Christ. 
that has captured people. Now, how do I know this? A few reasons. Firstly, name any other story, 2,000 years old or more, that you can name, let's make this simple, just three things about. That's actually pretty hard to do for most of us. But even if you don't know the Good Friday story, you can do it for this story. Something about a rooster crowing? Something about a Last Supper somewhere? Well, wasn't there a crown of thorns? I'm sure there was a cross and an empty tomb along the way. Friends, even if you don't know much, that is a fair bit of detail you do know for a story that happened two millennia ago. Somehow this story has found its way into the collective consciousness of our community. There is a second reason why I know this story has had a mark on people, and it's because you're here right now on a public holiday in Australia. That is remarkable. You could be anywhere else today, but for whatever reason, you're sitting in a church remembering an event that happened 2,000 years ago. This story has drawn us together. Now, the question has to be, why? why does this story capture us? I mean, it's ancient. It happened a long way away in a culture very different to ours. There's been other similar stories that have played out over the centuries, more recent, closer to home. None have had the power of this one. None have had the significance of this one. What is it about this story that causes us to stop, pause, and come to church even on a public holiday? Where's the power in this story? It has to be more than a cultural phenomenon. It is deeper than that. And there's a whole bunch of reasons why this story has the inherent power it does. Today, I just want to point out three. Three things that set this story apart from others we hear. Three reasons why my four kids will remember this story forever in a way they will not remember my dad. Here's the first. It's because wired deep into the human brain is a love for rescue stories. Hollywood has taken lots of your money by recognising your love for these stories, from those stuck in space to those stuck on the front line to those stuck on an island, and almost all of them played by Tom Hanks. <laughs> it's a question of, will they make it? What will happen if they don't? That is the Good Friday story in many ways. From start to finish, a rescue story, a story of God entering this world, actually God entering humanity in the person of Jesus to save people who are dying, to rescue people who are perishing. But this story is a bit different to the ones Hollywood give us because in Apollo 13, Saving Private Ryan and Castaway, people can't wait to be rescued. They know without the rescuer, they'll die. But in the Good Friday story, people are not thankful for the rescuer. Actually, they despise him. John 19.6, as soon as the chief priests and their officials saw Jesus, they shouted, crucify, crucify. Jesus dies 
to rescue people. And as he does, those very people publicly denounce him and reject him while he's trying to save them. Yes, he's recognised as a king, dressed as one, complete with crown. But it's a parody, a joke. And despite the fact that the murderers mock and bask and joke, Jesus still gives his life for them. He will die that they might live. That's some rescue story. There's a second reason why the Good Friday story captivates and endures, and it's because embedded in this story is the idea of the sacrificial sufferer. Again, something we are drawn to. There is something haunting about the idea that an innocent man would willingly suffer and give his life for others. These sorts of stories have always captured humanity. In 2011, there was a nuclear disaster at the Fukushima uh, nuclear power plant in Japan. An earthquake triggered a powerful tsunami and 14 metre high waves damaged the nuclear power plant's emergency diesel generators, which led to a loss of electric power, which led to rising temperatures within. The result was the most severe nuclear accident since Chernobyl in 86. And 150,000 people were evacuated from the region due to the radiation leakage. In fact, are still uh, evacuated. But what you may not know is in the days after this event, a group of 200 Japanese pensioners volunteered to tackle the nuclear crisis at the power plant. So at a time when everyone else was running away, 200 people ran in. Now, they called themselves the Skilled Veterans Corps and they were made up of retired engineers and other professionals all over the age of 60. Their view was that they should face the danger, not the young. The head of the Veteran Corps was Yasuturu uh, Yamada, And he said this, uh, like an engineer would, it seems. I'm 72, and on average, I probably have 13 to 15 years left to live. Even if I were exposed to radiation, cancer could take 20 or 30 years or longer to develop. It made worldwide headlines because that is such a remarkable position to take that 200 people would place themselves in harm's way, sacrifice their health, maybe even their lives for the good of the nation. Stories like this capture people. That is what happened on Good Friday. A sacrificial sufferer gave his life for others, which is why Pilate cried out to the crowd who were calling for Jesus' death, you take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. You see, the innocent sacrificed his life. But what happened on Good Friday was also very different to other sacrificial sufferers because what we read in the Gospels is that Jesus wasn't just an extraordinary man, which he was. He was also simultaneously the perfect son of God himself. He was God himself. God chose to die to deal with people's sin, that their sin would not cause them to die. Now, we have a bit of an issue here. Uh, It's 2023, and when you start talking about sin in 2023, people start rolling their eyes. You've probably felt that already. Here's what you need to know. 
Whatever comes into your mind when you hear this idea of sin is almost certainly not what the Bible is speaking about. See, when we hear this old-fashioned idea of sin, uh, our mind goes to being naughty or swearing or uh, being unfaithful, committing murder maybe. But that's really not what the Bible's talking about at all. It's much more serious than that. It's much closer to home than that. Sin, according to the Bible, is this inbuilt desire that I have to live my life with no reference to the God who made me. It's essentially the choice I make to live as if God were dead. A few years ago, I bought a second-hand car through car sales and I went to pick it up from the guy's house and we got talking and he asked me what I do for a living. I'm a minister, I said. Are you? He said. (laughs) Yes, I said. He said, you know what? I just think that you need to live your life, do what you want, and know God is there. It was not the time to have a theological discussion with him as I was pulling back onto Monavale Road. However, what he described is what the Bible says is the heart of sin. Now, maybe you think, well, I don't do that. Well, the Bible tells me that we all do that. The Bible says that that's the default way that I want to live. I want to live my life actually however I want and just know that God is there if I'm a theist or just know that God is not there if I'm an atheist. And this is the very reason Jesus, the sacrificial sufferer, died because through him God was making a way for that estranged relationship between God and me, God and you, to be put right. Jesus would die in my place wearing my sin to put all things right. It was the death of that innocent man, Jesus, that turned away God's right anger, right anger at the way I had treated him so shabbily. Jesus' death rescues me from my sin, reunites me with my God, and the idea of a man dying in my place on my behalf is haunting. It has captured the world's imagination for 2,000 years. But there is one more reason why the Good Friday story resonates. Actually, I think it's the main reason that this story has the power it does. It endures for this reason. Because there's been a lot of rescue stories. There's been a lot of sacrificial sufferers. None have shaped the world like Jesus. You don't gather any other time of the year for any other story like that, but you're here today. Here's the reason. This story is all about you. This story is all about you. That is the claim of the story. It's the point the story is trying to make. The rescuer came to rescue you. The sacrificial sufferer sacrificed for you. It's about you. And my guess is that's why most of you are here. That's why the story has dominated the calendar and history for 2,000 years because whoever hears this story and actually deeply listens, really listens, comes to know that actually the story is about them and that Jesus is actually for them. 
That's what gives this story such weight and, and such enduring appeal. Yes, we love rescue stories. They're powerful. Sacrificial sufferer stories, they're powerful. But this sacrificial sufferer died to rescue you. Yes, that's powerful. More than that, that is personal. That's personal. And that calls for a response. Verse 30, Jesus' final words are given to us. We read this. When he'd received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Jesus cry, it is finished. What does he mean? He means my work is done. It's over. It's completed. All that Jesus needed to do has been done for you and for me to find the forgiveness and the welcome of God. You see, the amazing thing about Good Friday is that Good Friday tells you that you don't need to be good. Do good. Look good. You just have to know that Jesus has done it all. It is finished. The brilliant news of Good Friday is because Jesus' work is finished, your work can be finished. What? What does that mean? We've got to go to work on Tuesday. No, not that sort of work. That lifelong work of struggle that many of us have trying to find forgiveness for things done in our past. It is finished, says Jesus. Or that labour of finding a reason for deep purpose and hope in life beyond raising a family and paying a mortgage. It is finished, says Jesus. Or that perennial search for a love that will not let us down like every other love we have ever known has. It is finished, says Jesus. All finished on the cross. He put all things right so we can find forgiveness and hope and the love of God in the creator of the world, the one who made us. You know, I've got no idea why you're here today. I recognise 70% of the room. Maybe it's a family tradition. Maybe you've been dragged along by a well-meaning relative. Good on them. Good on you for coming. But in one sense, when you think about it, sitting here remembering the disgraceful murder of an innocent man is a pretty bleak way to spend a public holiday. But it is called Good Friday for a reason. It's because today we remember that a very good God put a very bleak world right. And through the sacrificial death of his son, he was making a way to rescue you. You know, some stories can stay with us. And the best ones, the truest ones, can get into you and leave a mark. Actually, they can forever change you. And the testimony of the hundreds of people who call this church home is that that is exactly what this story has done for them, what Jesus has done to them. This Good Friday is a brilliant time to consider this story anew. Let me pray. Our good and gracious Heavenly Father, we want to thank you that despite the fact that we have lived as if you were dead or at least at arm's length, you have come close in the person of your Son, Jesus Christ. And you show us what you're like. You are not 
a taskmaster or a policeman or merely a judge who sits on high and looks down with raised eyebrow, Father, you are compassionate and gracious and slow to anger and sacrificial. there, There is nothing you will not do to win back your people to you. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that we can read of him in your word. Thank you that we can follow him as you enable us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.